0: Good evening. 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 Uh, For those of you who uh, I don't know, my name's John. Uh, I'm the curate here. Uh, I'm part of the staff team. uh, And I'm going to be speaking tonight, which I'm thrilled to be doing. Uh, Before we jump in, shall we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity, this privilege, this joy to be gathered together uh, as your people, as family, uh, and as we as we're here, to be confident because of your promise that you'll be here with us. God, thank you for the ways in which we've seen and known already that you are here with us and at work. And Lord, I want to ask that as we now turn to your words, uh, that you continue to be working in us uh, and amongst us uh, by your Holy Spirit. Would you come and work in power, speak uh, through me, speak to each one of us. Uh, And would you give each of us ears to hear and eyes to see all that it is you want to do this evening. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Probably my uh, favourite sport to play is squash. Uh, I really like squash. I haven't had much of a chance to play it since I uh, moved to Reading. So if you're an avid squash player... Uh, do you, uh, invite me to play squash with you. That would be great. But I haven't played it recently. But uh, since I was a teenager, I- I've really enjoyed uh, squash. And one of the things I love about the sport uh, is that uh, it's seemingly very simple. In many ways, it is very simple. If you know the game, if you've watched it played or you've played it yourself, you'll know that it's basically two people in a box hitting a ball against the wall. Um, if, you nun- if you understand that, you basically understand the sport. It's very simple, but at the same time, there's kind of hidden complexity and depth the more you get to know the game. You know, what looks like kind of quick and uh, mindless rallies, backs and forth between two players, actually hides, if you know what to look for, subtlety and tactics and, and skill. You can kind of knock a ball impossibly off of a wall and it ends up in places you didn't expect there's real skill behind it and experience will always beat out pure energy and power and fitness if you know how to control the tea, if you know how to play the game you can normally do pretty well regardless of how old or waddly like I am you are It's a good sport. There's a complexity to it, but anyone can pick it up and have a go. Because like a lot of sports, there's one thing that if you can just keep in your mind while you're playing, you'll actually do all right. Everything else will follow. You don't need to remember all those tactics and interesting things you can do. There's just one thing that that will get you going, and it's this. Keep your eye on the ball. If you just keep your eye on the ball, It's like a key that will unlock everything else that follows. If you do that one thing, you'll find yourself over time gradually doing everything else that needs to be done. Keep your eye on the ball. I've been wondering as I've been preparing to speak this evening uh, what that looks like in the Christian faith. What would it look like for us to keep our eye on the ball in our life as Christians what's the one thing is there that one thing that foundation stone that we can lay that once we've got it once we've done that everything else will follow everything else is built upon that one principle In our passage today, Jesus is is teaching his disciples uh, once more. It's the night before he's going to go to the cross. And he's telling his disciples some key things he wants them to know. And he's speaking to them about uh, the good life. He's speaking to them about a well-lived life. He's speaking to them about what we've been calling in our series an abundant life. And what we see is that if you want to live this kind of abundant life, that foundation, that ball you need to keep your eye on is relationship. Jesus says that we have to remain in him and he has to remain in us. When we do that, Jesus says that what will follow naturally, what comes as a result of that relationship, is a life of abundance, a life of purpose, a life of eternal significance. So in our time together this evening, I want to think about those two things. What does a life of purpose look like? And how can we live that sort of life? So firstly, let's think about an abundant life of purpose. Uh, look at verse 5 with me, if you've got a Bible on your phone or in front of you don't you get it open. Uh, it is on the screen, but it is the world's smallest text. So that's no good to any of you. Uh, but do follow in your Bibles with me. Uh, verse 5, Jesus says this, I am the vine, you are the branch- branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. In this teaching that jesus is giving his disciples uh, he 's laying out I think a fairly simple promise and I in my first degree, I studied science, I kind of like equations, so i 've put it as something of an equation, this simple promise that Jesus makes that if you remain in him, your life will be fruitful. Now fruit we know is is the natural product. Uh, of plants. It's the natural product of health and vitality, uh, of growth. It's what happens when when a plant is healthy. And throughout the Bible, fruitfulness is used as a metaphor to describe the product of the lives that we live. Fruit can be good or it can be bad. It all depends on the, the energy that it's drawing from the plant that it's connected to depends on the life that generates it. And and the fruit that Jesus is talking about in this passage is good fruit. It's fruit uh, that comes about from a life that is connected to him, to the source of life itself. It's fruit uh, which the Apostle Paul will go on to describe in his letters later in the New Testament uh, as love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. It's the fruit that the prophet Isaiah, in a passage that Jesus is pointing to uh, in the words we've just heard read, uh, it's fruit that that the prophet Isaiah describes as righteousness and justice. All these things are the fruit that come about from a life that is connected to Jesus. And in God's way of the world, in God's economy, this fruit is never meant to be stockpiled, or hoard it. But it goes out into the world as it's born in the life of people who know and love the Lord and, and blesses those that it touches. The good fruit that life in Jesus produces impacts the world, it transforms lives, and it plays a part in the coming kingdom of God. This is the sort of fruit that a life that remains in Jesus can produce. But even more astonishingly, Jesus says that our fruit can produce a result that has an eternal impact, that has eternal significance, that reverberates through history uh, with ripples that we might never see and could never guess. Look at what Jesus says in verse 16. He says, You did not choose me, But I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. God takes you and I uh, seriously. Uh, he, He makes our lives matter because we matter to him. One of the ways that God shows that he loves us is by making, uh, giving us the dignity of impact, the dignity of, of what we do actually mattering. And so when you live a life that's connected to the vine, a life that's connected to Jesus, God promises that the fruit that will naturally be a result will bring life in more ways than you could possibly comprehend in the moment it will do more in your own soul and more in the lives of the people around you than you would have hoped or dreamed when you decided to be obedient to Jesus it will reverberate into the future a friend of mine is a vicar in norwich and he's got a friend called ruth Uh, And when Ruth was at university, uh, she was a part of the university basketball club. And when Ruth uh, first joined the team, uh, she learned that the coach would start every single practice uh, by getting the team to run laps around the court. Uh, And apparently the common practice uh, was to cut the corners off of the edge of the court to make the run just that little bit shorter. And everyone would do it. They'd run laps and they'd cut corners to make things a little bit easier and Ruth decided that when she joined that what her kind of way of being faithful to God and honoring the coach was going to be to never cut a corner when she ran laps around the court so she was part of the team for three years and her teammates would, would run around and they'd cut corners and they'd run a slightly shorter distance and Ruth would always run the whole way She'd never cut a single corner. She didn't make a big deal about it. This was just her personal and private act of worship to God uh, in her position in the basketball team. And Ruth came to the end of her time at university. She was in her third year. uh, And she went to the pub uh, after a practice with her teammates. Uh, And one of her friends kind of sidled over to her uh, and said, Ruth, I've noticed that whenever we run laps at the start of practice, you never cut corners like everyone else Uh, and Ruth I know you're a Christian and I have a suspicion that this has something to do with Jesus would you tell me about Jesus would you tell me why you do what you do and so Ruth had this conversation with her friend and a couple of months later uh, her friend gave her life to Jesus because of that conversation because of that simple act of faithfulness Ruth's friends came to know the Lord. Now this is a silly example in, in many ways, but I think that's the point. When we're connected to Jesus, when we remain in the vine, it produces fruit that does more than we could have imagined when we set out in the life of obedience to Jesus. It has impact that we never could have seen. God uses our faithfulness to bless the world, to bless others. And as it says in verse 8, he uses it for his glory. Because Ruth did this simple act of obedience uh, that she felt God was calling to her, her friend came to know Jesus. Uh, and, G- and, and God's name was made famous uh, in that time. Because Ruth decided not to cut corners, when she gets to heaven, there's going to be another person there with her in eternity. I don't know about you, but I want my life to be more fruitful like that. I want more peace in my heart that the Apostle Paul says is the fruit of knowing Jesus. I want justice to follow me wherever I go. I want people to be blessed because I've been a part of their stories. Well, the good news is that Jesus says in this passage how we can live that sort of abundant, purposeful, significant life. And you may have noticed it peppered throughout the passage as we heard it read. It's at the beginning of my little equation. What you and I need to do is remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus. I think it has a nice ring to it. Speaks of relationship. Speaks of us being with our saviour. Of us staying close to our Lord. And throughout these verses, Jesus puts flesh on the bones of what that would look like. He tells us how we can remain in him. And he tells us two things in particular. The first is he tells us of the importance of obedience. Look at verse 10 with me. Jesus says this, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've said it before, I think I've said it in the last few weeks, but I think it bears repeating. God's love language is obedience. Obedience. The way that we show God and the way that we show the world that we love God is by doing what he says. And you know, I think we've got this wrong in the church. I think our thinking about this has become a bit skewed. Because we've allowed ourselves to believe that what it means to follow Jesus is to believe certain theological truths and give intellectual assent to certain doctrinal statements. And don't get me wrong, I'm not bashing that sort of thing. I think knowing more about God is generally better than knowing less about God. I'm all for knowing about God. It's good, but it's not what it means to follow Jesus. As we read last week, if you were here in John 14. If we love God, Jesus, We will keep his commandments. Following Jesus is not just about thinking certain things. It's about doing certain things. It's about being obedient to the one we call Lord and Savior. You know, I was chatting this week to our our youth pastor, Dan. And Dan was telling me about this idea he's got for a a small group uh, that would meet kind of every so often, maybe once a month. And they'd read a part of the Bible They'd see what Jesus told them to do, and then they'd go and do it. And that would be the small group. They'd see what Jesus said, and they'd go and do it. And this idea blew my mind. And we were reflecting on it, and we thought, that's ridiculous. Why is this so surprising to us? But I think it's because we forget that's what it means to follow Jesus, to hear what he says, and to go and do it. That's what it means to be a Christian. I think you and I would be astonished by the fruit that our lives would bear if we prayerfully read this book. If we listened to the voice of Jesus and then we just went and did what he told us. If we didn't just assume that what we heard him say was for someone else or it was some spiritual abstraction that we didn't need to listen to, but if we heard his voice and we did what he said, I think we'd be astounded by what the Lord would do with that. In a world full of darkness and fear, I can think of no greater witness, no greater blessing, than a people who listened to Jesus and obey, who loved and served, who preferred Others who gave and prayed, who cared and looked out for others who loved. Imagine the eternal things that God could do with a room full of people in Reading who lived like that. Who listened to Jesus and did what he said. I I was speaking to John Hudson, part of our team, this morning about this. And we were thinking about that metaphor of playing squash And we're thinking that if you wanted to play squash but you didn't really know what to do, the thing to start off with is to do the sorts of things that people who play squash do. You know, get a squash racket rather than a tennis racket. Go and stand in a squash court, find someone else to play with them, and then kind of swing the racket in a vaguely squash-like sense. You know, if you didn't know what to do, you should just do the things that squash players do and trust that squash will follow. And we wondered if it's a bit like that in obedience to Jesus, I think if you're anything like me, sometimes I don't really know what it looks like to be an obedient follower of Jesus. It doesn't feel like me. I you know, feel like a bit of a train wreck a lot of the time. So I, well, that's, I'm not the sort of person who does that. And we're thinking maybe just sometimes what it looks like is, is to live the sort of life that an obedient person would live. You know, To get the squash racket and go and stand in the squash court. I'm a big believer in the spiritual principle of fake it till you make it. Live the sort of life that an obedient person would live. And see what God does with it. See how you become the person that you choose to be like. If we did it, you and I, Jesus says, would be near to our Lord. If you keep my commands, he says, you will remain in my love. The first way we can remain in Jesus is by being obedient. And the second is through community. Look at verse 12. Jesus says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There's lots of ways you and I can live a life of obedient a discipleship. Lots of things we could do. It will look different for each of us. But Jesus really helpfully summarizes half of his great commandment in this verse and tells us that what it will look like is you and I loving one another. It seems that the way that you and I can be most obedient, we can most fully remain in Jesus, we can most fully bear fruit in the world that will last and bring glory to God is by loving each other. And what a time to be called to love. What a time to hear that command from God. In the coming weeks and months, We don't know what's going to happen. It's a strange time to be alive, isn't it? It's a strange time to be a follower of Jesus. But it seems like this call to love is going to take on a very particular shape, doesn't it? You know, there's every possibility. We don't know. We're following guidance. We're going to do what uh, all the best wisdom tells us to do. But there's every possibility we might enter a season in which we're not able to gather like this anymore. Uh, but can I remind you that if we do that, church is not about our Sunday gatherings. Church is about us being a community of love, who love one another and love Jesus and see fruit born in the world that will bring blessing. We are church together, you and I, as we love one another and so it might be, we don't know, but it might be that we can't meet like this, but, but the guidance that we're given will allow us to meet together as small groups in our home for a season. What a time to love each other in that community. It might be that even that becomes impossible for some of us with isolation and all that sort of thing, and we'll have to lean on the gift of things like WhatsApp and FaceTime and, and Skype, and that will be the way that we can be together as family and love each other. That's fine. That's fine. What's important is that we remain in Jesus. We remain in the vine as we love one another. And some of us are going to have some really practical opportunities to love the church and to love our neighbors. Through sharing from the plenty that we might have with those who have little. Through being a loving presence in person or or by technology with those who are alone Uh, or afraid through serving our friends and our neighbors by meeting their very practical needs doing a food shop getting supplies sharing information if they struggle to get that information for themselves whatever these coming weeks and months hold they certainly hold a chance for us to remain in Jesus by doing what he says and loving one another Remain in Jesus and live a life of abundant purpose. Sounds good. I believe that it's true. But but if I stopped there, I'd be selling you horribly short. Because, you know, I was thinking about this last night. I was thinking about what I was going to share with you this evening. And as I thought about this idea, if I'm honest, I felt like a bit of a fraud. Because like I said a moment ago, in many ways, I'm a bit of a train wreck. You know, I see a life of obedience and love of remaining in Jesus and I'm just aware that I can't do it. I'm not capable of doing this by myself and I imagine I'm not the only person in the room who feels like that. But then I realise that that's the wrong way to think about this. Because in the Christian life, it's never about what we need to do. It's always about what Jesus has already done. Because that's what it means to be a Christian. We lean on the gracious supply of someone who has done everything that is necessary for us. And you may have noticed that this passage says more than we have to remain in Jesus. Let's look at verse 4 again. Because Jesus says, remain in me as I also remain in you. Jesus promises that as we stick to him he'll stick to us why does he do it why is our god like this verse 9 because he loves us verse 14 because he calls us his friends verse 16 because he's chosen us The author of this gospel, John, is going to go on in the New Testament to write some letters. And in one of them, he'll say, we love because God first loved us. I think we could say it like this as well. We can remain in Jesus because Jesus has first come to remain in us. As you seek to be obedient and fail, as you look to love and you mess it up, remember that God loved you first. That you're not in this alone, but Jesus promises to remain in you by the presence and power of his Holy Spirit so that despite all of our shortcomings and failures, you and I will be able to bear fruit that lasts. Jesus knows you. He knows the ways in which you get it right, and the ways in which you fall short. But he chooses you, and he loves you, he calls you his friend. Do you realize that the creator of the world calls you his friend? He doesn't just love you, but he likes you. And he made a way on the cross so that he could remain in you through whatever the next weeks, months, or years holds. And He wants to help you to live a life of abundant purpose. And so I'd like to pray. I'd like to pray for us that we would remain in Jesus. And as we do that, we'd see fruit born that echoes through eternity. So, why not pray? Father oh we thank you that you tell us that you have good works for us. That we're not just here going through the motions in creation, but you've made us with a plan and a purpose. You have things for us to do that we matter. And that the foundation that we build upon, the key that unlocks this kind of significance, is relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I want to pray that you would help each one of us to remain in you to live a life of obedience that follows you, to live a life of love to those around us. And Lord, for many of us who that feels impossible, that we feel like we're stuck in a cycle and we could never live that sort of obedient life, I pray that you would come by your spirit and equip us, give us power, break a cycle of disappointment, And equip us to live for you. And will we shine like stars in this time and in this place. With the faithfulness and fruitfulness that you bring about within us. So come Lord Jesus and fill us. We ask that you meet with us. Meet with us as we pray. Meet with us at the table. And tonight would you come and work in and through us. Come Lord Jesus.